welcome to the executive brain focused on the self-actualization of today's executive leaders through science and stories i'm your host grinnell connor Author of 14 books and over 700 leadership columns within publications like Forbes and Harvard Business Review, John Baldoni is an internationally recognized leadership educator, executive coach, and spokesman. He has been ranked by Global Gurus and Inc.com as a top leadership expert. In his most recent book, Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us, he emphasizes how great leaders set the right example by putting others first, treating them with dignity, showing compassion and being humble, and challenging themselves and others to work for the greater good. John's website, www.johnbaldoni.com, as well as links to his literary works can be found in the description of this episode's podcast. Well, hi, John. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here on Executive Brain. Well, thank you, Grinnell. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Perfect. Well, let's start with this. Uh, According to the bio that I have of you, I see a lot of prolific work that you've done. 14 books written, 700 leadership columns. There must be a slew of information and research and experiences. Would you mind telling me more about this culmination that come from all this literary work? Well, I think it's a little, um, thank you for using the word culmination, because I I'm, hope I'm not there yet. Um, I would look at it as a, a canon of work, a compendium. In my business, I do three things. Um, I write, I teach, and I coach. So I write books and I write columns uh, for Forbes mostly now, and also contribute videos as well as columns to SmartBreak. Um, I write books and I provide executive coaching chiefly to senior leaders, but I also work with um, junior leaders, uh, emerging leaders on a pro bono basis. And of course, I'm on the keynote circuit where I talk about leadership and purpose. All of those things uh, go together. I get an idea and I may speak about it or I get an idea and I write about it or I write about it, then I speak about it or vice versa or something, lessons in coaching come up that I think this would make a good column for someone else to learn from. And so that each of these things uh, blends into one another. And I think it makes me a better speaker, better teacher, better coach and better writer. That's beautiful. That's actually great that you do pro bono and community-based work, as well as uh, touch on the most experienced of executives. Can you speak more about that difference? Are you noticing any trends? Are you noticing any separations? Well, that's a a good question. I'm sort of always in the contrary uh, when I ask about this. Do you see any changes in leadership? And I always want to say no, because the principles of leadership are immutable. They've been with us since the earliest days. Uh, And I'm talking, you know, prehistory or certainly the ancient times. What is different? There's two things which are different. And and, um, in fairness, one is the velocity of change and also its global scope. So what happens in one part of a world can affect another part of the world very quickly. And we know about it with our speed of communication, be it social media, be it, you know, broadcast media or cable or whatever it is. But the other thing which has changed, and this is a great virtue 
um, we have a more enlightened leadership cadre, uh, chiefly because we have women leaders. <laughs> so uh, we have finally accepted the fact that the 50% of the population is are women. So why shouldn't they be leading us? So gender and velocity of change have been the differences. Um, obviously, senior leaders I work with um, know this, embrace this, uh, and young leaders emerging from this, it is their world. So they actually know no difference. It's just the world in which they live. So the two differences that you see from the earliest of times of leadership to now, you're seeing velocity due to the technology that we have in store and in access and as well as how global it is, as well as the gender diversification that has happened. Right. And um, and when we talk about diversity, we also have to talk about inclusion because it's one thing to say, well, we have a woman or we have a, um, a person who is, uh, quote, a minority. What really matters is not the, the number or the quota. What matters is the inclusiveness. Um, are you sharing ideas? Are you embracing different points of view? And the most successful companies or organizations are those that um, are made up of the way our culture looks. So that means um, people from different backgrounds uh, and different backgrounds, they also mean experiences. Um, and different age groups, um, different uh, abilities, of course. And even we talk about, you know, um, things like um, different ways of processing, different ways of thinking. So all of this is important uh, to creating organizations that mirror our culture or the culture in which they exist. And I think leaders need to be aware of this as a means of how do I connect with the people that I'm responsible for, and how can I make them feel included? And inclusiveness includes decision-making. Now, the, the person nominally at the top will have final decision, of course, but the most successful organizations are those that push decision-making to the front lines. And then at every appropriate level, there's a decision matrix that you decide or it's a handoff. So in that way, people have a greater sense of ownership. They want to participate. And when they participate, they feel that they belong. I hear that definitely. I mean, we can take an easy look at, uh, let's say, a, an American football team or an American basketball team, and then we could see a certain pattern of of ethnicities or color or diversity. Uh, we look at the executive leadership branch and and totem pole of our corporate culture and corporate organization the way it stands. And then we can also see that there is a pattern here. And diversity, I, I hear you, is uh, something that is of uh, an utmost topic. And uh, at least where we are now, you might know where this question is going. Entering into the year 2020, are we as going as fast as we should be? Should we be in a better state? Or what, what do you think about that? Oh, I think we can be a lot better. I mean, if you look at our uh, nominal Fortune 500 companies, there's only a handful of women and only a handful of minorities uh, heading these organizations. And even when you dig down into senior leadership, they're not represented enough, certainly in uh, 
with enough women. Um, but I think that's changing because older white males, of which I'm part of, are exiting the stage. So it's inevitable that we will have a more diverse leadership core at leading our organizations at every level. But we need to do a better job. And I would like to think that we're pointing that way. Yeah, I would like to think that as well. I have an interesting question for you. Of the leaders that you work with, and these these being certain concepts and constructs that you are continuously battling with within your mind as well as within the culture around us, uh, what have you noticed of the leaders? What have you noticed as far as attributes of the leaders you work with that promote this diversity the best or the most and actual not just words and branding and kind of um, mushy feeling kind of thing but actually put it into action well they do what you just said um, they put people of difference and however you define difference into people positions of authority and they insist upon that and they set that example then it's expected so um, none of us is is there at an optimal level and um, but, you know, the, the, it, it's less the gender, it's more the sense of inclusiveness. And when you create a sense of inclu inclusiveness, which includes a sense of meritocracy, which, you know, you're promoted by the level of what you can uh, have achieved, but also what you're willing to give. Now, that's the little difference in meritocracy. The best leaders I've worked with are those who are give of themselves, go out of their way to make a positive difference in the lives of others. That is what led me to write my book, Grace. Um, we live in contentious times, and there our public discourse is full of rancor. But I am still one who adheres to the principles that Lincoln preached in certainly much more contentious times. The Civil War was the better angels of our nature. And I think there is more good than bad. And I see that on a daily basis. And so when I think of the concept of grace, which is the impetus, the catalyst for the greater good, we see it in action. And grace, the way I've defined it, I've turned the word into an acronym. It's generosity. It's respect. It's action. Because leaders think, but they act, and that's how they're judged. C is compassion, and E is energy. The C and the, the A and the E go together, action and energy, because leaders catalyze the organization, mobilize it, and they provide energy. But inside, they must be have an open heart, look at the dignity of others, and have a caring spirit about the humanity of the people in their organization. And those are the concepts that I built the book, Grace, A Leader's Guide for a Better Us. I see that. That's a very good use as far as the acronym. What inspired you for this book? What inspired you about grace? Was it the word itself or did you see things in the environment and then create a rubric that turned into this word? Well, I've, all, I've actually written about grace previously. I am enamored of the word, and I talk about the word as a, as a catalyst for good, but I also talk about grace in that comes from beauty, from music, from art. 
And when we see grace in the arts, there's artists who produce good art have essentially a centeredness about them, as do leaders. And so there is a the, there's a blending between the, the two. Grace we has a sense of elan of, of gracefulness around about it, but it's also that sense of those who have grace know themselves, know their strengths as well as their limitations. And for that reason, they uh, people come to them. And grace, it promotes a concept that I talk about in the book that I've learned from Father Greg Boyle, whom I write about. He's the founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. And this is the largest gang intervention program uh, in the world. And Father Greg talks about the connectedness between it. He calls us, calls it the radical kinship making us, reducing the space between us in a way that we can be available for others. That's grace in action. And that's what leaders do. They look for connectedness in the organization and connectedness, interpersonal connectedness, but also interconnections, of course, from a business strategy to implementation and execution. But there's a, a broader concept, too, that um, one of the things I've written about extensively is purpose. And purpose is our catalyst. Purpose, again, is our why. That's not my original concept, but it's, it's a word. And so what do we do with purpose? Purpose is what gets us up in the morning. From an organizational as well as a personal standpoint, purpose sparks our vision. What's vision? Our sense of becoming. It sparks our mission. What's mission? our doing, our building. And this also lays a foundation for our values. And what are values? Our sense of belonging. Now, here's where grace comes in. You can achieve your vision and mission in spite of people or with people. If you're going to do it with and for people, that's where grace enters. That's where grace is helps you form the values that enable people to belong. Your sense of inclusiveness, your sense of dignity, a sense of generosity, transparency, enabling people to have difference, enabling people to speak up, encouraging people to speak truth to power, to making things and a create a culture of coaching where managers develop the talents and skills of their employees and where employees can be frank and open with their ideas as well as provide feedback to their bosses. And so all of this works together. So purpose is our uh, why and grace is our how. The how we do things around here. And if you're an organization with grace, it's an inclusive organization. It's a warm-hearted organization. People want to be around you. And when people want to be part of you, belong with you, to you, they will give their best. They will be committed to achieving the outcomes that the organization is intending on achieving. Sounds like a lot of great ideas. Yeah, well, let's uh, touch on those a bit more, if you don't mind. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, go on to a small break, and then we can dive into that when we come back. 
Okay, so I think I know what you're getting at here. You spoke about purpose being the why, the curiosity, the reason, in a sense. And then grace being how we get there, the map of, of you know, how to get to a certain destination once we already have the curiosity underlying that. No, no. Okay, um, go ahead. Purpose, no, uh, purpose is something you determine, you find it. Yes, your curiosity will lead you to discover your purpose, but purpose sets up your vision and mission. And if you want people, if you want to create a work environment that people want to belong, you will have an, uh, or you will use grace as a means of attracting them. Then my question here is, how does this apply to a very, very work-oriented culture that we live in in the United States and a very uh, capitalistic culture as well? Um, are we, in a sense, fueling capitalism by having people feel good with grace and continue to work and be committed? Or are we trying to get people to get a higher sense of, of their purpose in life due to the work that they do? Well, I think ultimately, um, whatever system you want to call it, it it's um, purpose is the why. And purpose, and if you feel that your purpose, if you're feeling fulfillment from doing what it is you want to do in an organization, you'll be committed to it. If your purpose is out of alignment with that organization, then you're not going to be frustrated. But let's face it, most people work for a paycheck. Um, but it's how you get them to work for that paycheck. And so even if you're, the work is not what they set out to do initially, if you create an environment where, where it's inclusive and where people are um, treat others with a service orientation and, are, and exhibit kindness in the workplace, I think people are more amenable to wanting to be there. Ultimately, we always want fulfillment. We want to, you know, find our, our ultimate goals, but all of us can't. At the same time, there is a concept of doing the best work I can do for whatever my job is. I'm going to be committed to doing uh, my work, be it I'm a woodcutter or, um, you know, an accountant or a designer um, or a healthcare worker. I'm going to be the best I can be. Hmm. I hear you there, uh, giving purpose to what people are doing. Let's switch gears here, if you don't mind. And I want to know a little bit about how you adapt your executive coaching and what components you focus on when coaching with the leaders that you have as clients. Every good coach has a methodology, but and methodologies are probably pretty similar. But the best executive coaches are those that do not impose their point of view. I have my value system, of course, and I will only work with people who I think have a similar value proposition. What do I mean by that? That they believe in trust, justice, ethics, and all of integrity. Um, so that's pretty basic stuff. Uh, at the same time, as an executive coach, I work where the individual needs to go. So be it uh, to become more effective in whatever job they're doing. Um, 
And so that's, you know, it's not what I'm doing. I'm sharing knowledge, but I'm listening and I'm applying what it is, my knowledge, to help them become better at what they do. Perfect. I think that's exactly what executive coaching is. And what called you to do work with the emerging leaders? Well, I've done some work with university. I mean, I've taught in universities and I, you know, I think as an elder, I think it's our responsibility to share our wisdom or our experience and our mistakes and our challenges um, with um, those who are coming up. And so it's, it's a calling. Um, and I, it's something I enjoy. Well, I think that's uh, definitely your grace coming through and sharing that knowledge and wisdom and passing it on to those coming up. I think it's one of the greatest gifts in life. <laughs> You're, uh, thank you for saying that. I, um, I, uh, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I'll accept your pat on the back of me. <laughs> okay, great. Executive leaders um, in high places listen to this podcast, as well as people that are emerging so any advice that you would like to give to either of these groups or maybe both? I always have, um, it's a good question. Um, and I have a kind of a pat answer and I don't mean it to be superficial, but leaders do three things. Be seen, be heard, be there. Be seen means be visible so people know where you are. And sometimes that means with an electronic presence, you know, um, uh, as well. Uh, be heard. Uh, and being heard is what's the be able to communicate the vision, mission, and values of the organization and also listen to what you hear in return. And so that you can, one can understand another. So uh, being heard is not simply just speaking, but it's listening, it's observing, and watch for what you don't hear. So in other words, when you engage in the uh, how people feel about a job, um, watch for what they don't say, watch for a lack of enthusiasm, watch the warning signs, absenteeism, high turnover, all of those kinds of things. If you're seeing that, that means people are disengaged. And what does engaged mean? It's, it's simply a fancy word for saying people like, like what their job is and they want to come to work. And that's a very simple proposition, but very difficult often to engender. And it's a leader's responsibility to reinforce that. And finally, it's uh, so I've said be seen, be heard. And the final one is be there. That's the metaphor for leadership in the sense of leaders do what the organization needs them to do. Leaders can never really say, it's not my job. Now, of course, they have different tasks to do, but when responsibility comes up, it's always the leader's responsibility. And when there are failures, it always falls to the leader to take responsibility for it and correct the problem. So by seeing, so being there means uh, being supporting for your organization. Find the resources for them. Uh, be the support. Coach your people. Insist that other that your managers coach their people. Create a culture of curiosity, as you had said. Create a culture of continuous learning, continuous sharing, 
And also, I'd like to say, add an element of kindness, intended acts of kindness. We're there to serve our colleagues, to help them do their job better. And in turn, they can help us do our job better. So be seen, be heard, be there. I love that, actually. I think that's great morals uh, to to be seen and to hear and be heard and be empathic and then be kind and be there and action oriented and consistent. Thank you for sharing those words. And I think they are going to be very meaningful, not only for myself, but hopefully several others. Well, thank you. I'm, it's um, been spreading that message for a while. And uh, I'm, I'm glad when I hear it repeated and I'm glad it resonates with you. Thank you. Well, John, this has been extremely fun. It's been a wealth of knowledge in just such a short time. Uh, and having you here present on Executive Brain has just been a great pleasure. Terrific. It's been a, a pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to talk about my book, Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us. And you're, you asked good questions that challenged me to think. And so you made it easy for me. So I appreciate that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is Grinnell again, your host, and this is Executive Brain. Thanks for listening to this episode of Executive Brain. I'm open to hearing from my listeners and always curious to know what topics interest you regarding leadership. Feel free to leave a comment on this podcast and visit Executive Brain on Facebook and Twitter. I also give one-to-one executive coaching, so if you want to learn more about that, send me a note. My contact details are in the description of this episode. Remember, there are leaders all around us, and there is always an opportunity to be a positive leader. Let's strive to constantly serve as an example of great leadership. Be good.